Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer, this is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> uh, back. <clears throat> You're back in the hop field. I'm back in the no video, the nameless uh, void. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, uh, we had a great time up in uh, Reno. We sure did. Our friends at uh, Brew Chatter. That was a blast. Uh, hanging out at Revision, that was that was uh, a load loads of fun. We ended up having like an impromptu drinking session there, where uh, somebody brought a bunch of like cellared beers that they they brought in. I was a customer or somebody. Yeah, a couple of brew club members and, and uh, yeah. some very nice brews. We had some good coffee beers, um, some good barrel aged strong beers. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, and the weather was was very nice too. You know. Nice oh yeah, and cool and right, uh, but sunny and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. We had a good time. That was your first time in Reno, uh, pretty much. I, yeah. I, you may have passed through before, but yeah, at yeah. least not in the last twenty years. So it's changed a lot. But you saw how great the brew chatter shop was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Real yeah. good, good real people. good guys, and, and got some nice beers on tap there. And right, um, yeah, that was that was a very very nice place to do a show from yeah i i was thrilled that uh they wanted us to do it and uh i was i was happy to do it maybe we can make it an annual thing who knows yeah i i I enjoy it that much uh you know who else i enjoy another one of our fine sponsors yeah who Uh, uh, oh (laughs) uh our good friend um 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 blickman john blickman that's the guy Yeah. yeah Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. John, our friend, John Blickman. Yes. <laughs> uh, purveyor of fine uh, brewing equipment, innovator of, of your brew day, uh, mm-hmm. creating all sorts of cool new stuff. You can find them at uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. You can send them an email, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell them how much you appreciate that they pay for this show since you, so you don't have to. I'm a little, I'm a little, a uh, little uh, groggy today. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but we'll find out. Um, I'll tell you what's going on. We have with us our friend Aaron Hyde yep. uh, uh, from New Zealand, who uh, is author of uh, How to Distill, 
Uh, hey guys. Right. Welcome, Aaron. Here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to be here, guys. Good to chat and catch up with you and uh, talk a little distilling today. Right. Even if it is really early in the morning there. <laughs> Even <laughs> if it is 8 a.m. and all I'm drinking is coffee right now, but <laughs> yeah. we'll move on shortly. <laughs> there you go. You'd say it's a stout or a porter. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So distilling is, you know, at home here in the U.S. is illegal federally illegal state illegal you know you can't do it you could you can get some permits to do like fuel distillation i think but generally you need you know to file with the ttb for a federal license to own a still and to operate a still and to produce certain products takes multiple licenses so and we're not saying that you should uh, be, you know, distilling, but um, certain countries it is legal. And this country, this uh, show is heard around the world. So uh, we thought uh, it'd be great to bring Aaron in. And even if you're not going to do it, uh, you know, in the U.S. Uh, at home, uh, it's still kind of a cool uh, insight into, into how it all works. When you go to have your favorite uh, drink of spirits later on, you may appreciate more. Uh, some of the work that goes into it. And, and also, in a way, the simplicity of it. It's almost, I mean, for me, distilling is, once you know how to brew, the distilling part is not that hard. It's, you know, it's, uh, there's a few things to look out for safety-wise. And, but, you know, the, the basic principle is very simple. Now, implementing it, that's where the artwork, come, the art, art, artistry comes in, you know, uh, but the actual concept of it is, is real simple. Aaron, uh, first off, uh, why don't you tell us uh, how long you've been distilling and what, what got you into it? Yeah, sure. So um, I started with home brewing back in the 90s. And when I opened up a homebrew shop, uh, 2008, 2009 in New Orleans, um, I still had a lot to learn about winemaking, distilling, and a few other things that I really wanted to um, sell in the shop. Um, mm-hmm. Should be said that selling is still not illegal, <laughs> um, right, right. Which, is a, which is a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, um, knew that I was going to get a lot of questions from folks that were interested in distilling um, and that sort of thing. So I, I took on the the hobby of home distilling uh, at, at around that same time and started to really pick up things actually online from my customers from uh, various books. And so I've been doing it just over uh, a decade and um, got to connect with uh, the commercial industry a bit more while I was at Bree Malt for four years, um, where I was the director of homebrew, but also uh, managed some craft brewing and distilling accounts. So got to connect with folks and uh, grew my interest even more. Um, but as you said, Jamil, it's it's not too far removed from home brewing. A lot of the mm-hmm. important steps are learned during that mm-hmm. process. And the uh, the challenges of distilling are, are pretty, pretty easily overcome once you understand, um, you know, the basic home brewing process mm-hmm. as well. Well, and a lot of the distillers even call you know, the mash that's made, uh, the, the, the product that's made before distilling, they call it beer. Um, yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's essentially the same thing. You, you make a beer, you, you do it without hops. You can do it with hops, but the hops are you know hard to get rid of unless you want that hop flavor in there. Uh, but you, you do it without hops and then you're essentially just heating it up until 
the alcohol vaporizes and then you're collecting that vapor. Once it condenses back in liquid, you're, you're collecting that. And that's, that's distillation. Now the, the process has a bunch of steps in where you're trying to get rid of the bad flavored alcohols, like, you know, or get rid of the acetone and methanol. And then you're also trying to leave behind some of the nastier stuff that tastes like a sweaty dog or (laughs) whatever descriptors people use for it. But, you know, the stuff in between, that's the stuff that you end up barrel aging or drinking. It's that simple. But uh, I mean, what would you say is, you know, um, walk us through getting started in distilling, Aaron. Yeah, definitely. So I think, um, you know, your audience is going to be a lot of home brewers, obviously, and a lot of them are going to be all grain brewers. And so um, that first step for a lot of distillation is that mashing process um, where you're taking grain and turning it into sugar. I think the challenge that a lot of um, distillers that started as brewers need to overcome is really understanding that cereal mashing process a little more if they want to make bourbons or use some raw grains, which, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of this, um, there's always sort of this mysticism around distilling that e- it seems to be even bigger than uh, in uh, craft brewing where um, you've got to take that, you know, corn right from the field and crack it and use crack corn and, and, and create your spirit from that. And I think there's always going to be a place for those romantic spirits like moonshine and bourbon that start with raw grain from the field. And, and to be honest, I mean, it's actually a cheap and easy way for some home distillers to go. It's just, um, does it add a bit of complexity because you do need to, uh, gelatinize that starch um, mm-hmm. completely in that raw grain. And so cereal mashing is maybe a step that a lot of home brewers haven't um, done where you're actually possibly right. bringing it to a boil to get that gelatinization and then mm-hmm. adding enzyme for liquefaction. Um, some, it seems like some brewers are picking up on this more now that, it, I mean, I don't want to say it's hazy IPA based, but maybe it's even American lager based. Some people seem to be brewing a lot more with some of those grains in, mm-hmm. in home brewing and, and going through this process and um, having more and more conversations about high temperature alpha amylase and, um, and going through the entire cereal mashing process. Um, well, but, you know, I think that's, that's definitely one of those steps that um, is in addition, in addition to a lot of mm-hmm. traditional home brewing. Well, and you can start so simply with even just uh, fermenting out some dextrose, Uh, you know, take dextrose, ferment it. You don't want to use regular like cane sugar, but use dextrose and um, ferment that out. And then you distill that into, you know, essentially, you know, a moonshine or a vodka or something like that. Yeah, that's that's the uh, super easy. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of... um some distilling or a lot of distilling actually is that you wouldn't really need to touch grain if you didn't want to. And Mm -hmm. I've even, um, I've even suggested to some folks that are starting in small distillation that they can play around with malt extract and get similar results. Um, you you do lose some of the grain character and quality when you're using malt extract because there's that distillation process. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, after, after using extract, you may lose some aromas, but I mean, there are so many spirits that just start with sugar. I mean, agave syrup and tequila 
and molasses for rum and dexterous, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, for gin or vodka, um, or even just for some sort of uh, a base for flavoring a schnapps or something like that. So the beauty of distilling is um, you can make really high quality spirits uh, without actually going through that mashing process, which is awesome. You know, you can start with sugar and do, and do dexterous, like you said, and do a nice um, clean neutral spirit wash and then make it into a gin, which is, right. which is great. Gets you, gets you started with, with the minimal, minimal investment in, in that, uh, in that way. Um, yep. <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, people also will do all grain and then they'll have a mash and then they'll distill that mash. Uh, you know, that's another way to do it. What, what, what's the basic equipment to get started? Yeah. So the basic equipment is, uh, it's very similar to home brewing, except I think it's probably worthwhile mentioning that, you know, there really isn't that boil stage unless you really want there to be a boil stage. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done enough grain mashing now where I haven't boiled at all or boiled for 15 minutes. Um, You just have to manage your sparge a little differently. But if you want to do grain, you're going to need a mash ton. Um, There's a lot of great mash vessels out there. Um, Blickman, one of the sponsors of the show, does the anvil system. I work with grain or I work for Grainfather Bevy and they make a nice all grain brewing system. Um, But you can also just use a cooler for mashing as well. And then beyond that, your fermentation equipment that you already have, if you're home brewing, um, will suffice. There's nothing fancy really about um, the fermentation equipment. So um, you do, you, you need a uh, a bucket. Um, actually have one behind me here just with a neutral wash in it, um, or some sort of fermenter with an airlock. Um, you definitely want a hydrometer, uh, for fermentation. It's really good to understand what your gravity is. And I think, you know, some home distillation does happen where, um, they're following a recipe and not typically using a hydrometer. And I'm not calling out home distillers here, but home distilling is definitely still advancing as a hobby. Um, Mm -hmm. And you've got this wide spectrum of home distillation, uh, even wider than home brewing where, um, you know, some guys are just, they're following a hundred year old recipe that's been in their family. And, you know, they, they put the balloon on top of an old glass jug and, (laughs) and just let it go and never, never watch what's happening. And then you got guys that are extremely even better at, you know, managing pH and water than I am um, during their distillation, because that's just a consideration when you're doing these higher ABV washes. Um, but otherwise, that first, those first steps in the uh, process, if you're an all grain brewer, um, you're pretty well covered. And then we get into the stills, um, which kind of opens up uh, a whole new can of worms um, for a home, home brewer. But it's really the only piece of equipment that you do definitely need to add to your arsenal. Well, let's do this. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I will tell you where I got my first still right after this. 
Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature march pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Uh, yeah, we were ta- we're talking uh, distilling with uh, uh, Aaron uh, Hyde. Uh, author of uh, How to Distill, which you can pick up off of uh, Amazon and uh, other other places that are uh, you know not traditional booksellers, I guess. Yeah. Homebrew <laughs> shops, yeah. Homebrew shops, yeah. Pick it up at your homebrew shop. That's where you should pick it up. If you can get to your homebrew shop, ask your homebrew shop to order it for you. Pay a few dollars extra so that your homebrew shop is still there when you when you go back uh, and need some supplies. Do any of the goals of mashing differ between traditional home brewing and distilling? Uh, that's a great question, John. Yeah. So uh, typically in mashing, we're using slightly lower temperatures by a few degrees because we're shooting for pretty much just simple sugars. We want something that ferments out uh, really, really nice and low. Um, we're, we're trying to uh, increase the amount of ethanol there since we aren't drinking it right out of the fermenter cold and carbonated and it's going through another process. Um, we're able to uh, really focus on trying to create as much uh, glucose and basic sugar as possible. Um, the other thing about fermentation probably to mention is that um, Temperature control can definitely be a tool, but uh, you'll notice that in if you go into commercial uh, distilleries, a lot of their tanks, unlike in uh, breweries, are not temperature controlled, and they're just letting that thing run wild and create congeners and fusels. Yeah. yeah, 90 90 degrees Fahrenheit. They throw in a brick of dry rip. yeast and they let it rip, hmm. and that's yeah, that's dude. it. And they want it done in a day or two so they can turn the tank again. So they, they're not waiting on anything. They, they, if it takes more than a couple of days for fermentation, they're pissed. They, <laughs> they, they want to do it as cheap and as fast as possible on the, mm. on, the, on, that, on the brewing side of it. And then they spend all their time and, and money and effort on the distilling side. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating difference between brewers and distillers and, Brewers that have become distillers, I think, have kind of a different insight into it, if you ask me. No, I was, I was promising the, the, the audience that I would reveal where I got my first still right. uh, after the break, and which is uh, eBay. 
I was able to just buy a complete still off of eBay. Um, you know, for commercial purposes, we wanted to, you know, just kind of do a small pilot still and see, you know, if it was worth doing and if we, you know, get our, get our process down before we invested in a much larger still. Uh, and it worked out great. So in the US, I can confirm that you can just go on eBay and buy yourself a still and start distilling. Again, not quite legal, but uh, people do it. Uh, so what kind of, so I, I think the thing, everyone's pretty familiar with the homebrew equipment, but what do I need as a homebrewer to go distill? Uh, let's say I have all my stuff. I've been making beer for a while. I want to fiddle around with distilling. What, am, what extra am I going to need? Yeah, and I think um, the number one place everybody goes to is that still, which is, you know, the uh, the cool new piece of gear that you get to invest in, um, mm -hmm. you know, and you get to have some fun with. And for me, the first still that I bought was a very basic uh, air still, uh, still spirits air still makes a gallon at it or it uh, ferment or it uh, distills a gallon at a time. Um, so you're getting out much less than that, you know, 500 mils to 750 mils at a time and it's pretty much just a basic little pot still um, but I think where some homebrewers do get hung up is what the best still for them is and there's this um, there's this idea that the more the higher the ABV I can get the better and it runs contradictory to what they're actually trying to do which is a lot of times produce age spirits um, where they're trying to leave some of that some of the some of the nasties in there, some of the congeners. Um, they don't want the distillation to be perfect and clean. That would be a vodka distillation. So you see these cool columns as a, as a home distiller and you're like, oh man, I want one of those. And then you get it and you're like, oh wow, okay, I'm doing you know, 90% ABV out of this thing. Um, and, uh, and then you, you go to age it and it's a really clean whiskey or rum or something like that. Not to say a column still can't work for bourbons or rums, um, but typically um, a pot still with an Alembic dome, which is really just a basic still with a condenser arm coming off of it, is what a lot of folks that are doing whiskeys and rums and even gins are looking for. If you're trying to make neutral or if you actually want to make uh, ethanol at home, like actual fuel, you can get a fuel permit in the U.S. to use a still. Um, you would want one of those columns that can do, you know, 90 to 95%. Um, and if you're going to do something like vodkas, uh, or if you're going to do something that you want to infuse fruit into or, or uh, gin and botanicals, um, having that column around is great. And of course, there's a lot of options in between, uh, in between a reflux still or a column still and a pot or a lumbic still, um, where you can add a short column or a bit of packing inside to create extra reflux, which is really just uh, the alcohol um, redistilling. So it hits some packing in a column and it can't make it up through. It's not light enough yet. And it falls back down into your boiler and it comes back around through that um, recondenses in that column and comes back down through. Um, when you've got a pot still, you don't continuously condense as much alcohol. Some of the some of the heavier stuff gets through, which is good because it's got the flavor. Um, and, um, and a lot of times you want to accentuate that flavor or subdue that flavor through aging. Um, so looking at 
the difference between pot and column stills. If you're, uh, if you're looking to do those aged spirits, you're going to want a pot still, and you're going to want some copper in that still as well. And um, if you're looking to do uh, neutral spirits, uh, something with a lot of ABV in it, a column still or a reflux column um, is, the, is the best way to go. Okay. I, th I think I feel like I'm standing on the edge of a lost city here. Um, there's, you've just hinted at all of these things that are out there that I don't have any frame of reference for. First question I had a few minutes ago was, why would I want to distill a, a hot mash that has produced a lot of acetaldehyde, diacetyl, fusel alcohols, I mean, versus distilling a very clean, good tasting wort or beer that I've made. I mean, why, why, what's, um, where is that desire coming from? Yeah, I think there's a, that's an interesting, interesting one for homebrewers. And like Jamil said, I think people that brew have a different approach to distilling. Um, actually, probably some very different insights into how they want to ferment and distill, um, which is great. I think uh, one thing is that in terms of rum and whiskey, there's still a want and a need for what what in distilling terms is called congener development, which is all those acids and um, all those flavors and uh, different alcohols to develop. Um, now we are gonna, during the distillation process, cut a lot of the really harsh ones out, um, like a lot of the really strong flavored ones at the beginning and the end, um, uh, like the acetone flavors and that sort of thing. But some of those flavors are actually beneficial when you're talking about aging a spirit. So um, in a vodka, in a vodka uh, sort of, or even a gin sort of ferment or wash, you may not want those. You may actually not want to focus at all on what that fermentation is. You may just want a nice clean base to highlight your botanicals. Um, okay. You'll see a lot of marketing around grain-based gins and that sort of thing. And sometimes some of that wheat flavor does come through and that sort of thing. But oftentimes uh, gins these days, especially some of the craft gins, they're trying to take a clean, neutral ethanol base and really um, make sure that they're showcasing local botanicals or their botanical blend and that sort of thing. Whereas a rum, as it ages, some of those congeners mellow or get tucked behind you know, some of the barrel flavors like vanillins and that sort of thing that okay. comes through. And, um, and with whiskeys and that sort of thing, that's how you develop the complexity is actually with um, harsh fermentation flavors. Sometimes you got to cut some of those out, but mm -hmm. um, some of those need to be left behind so that you develop a whiskey that's actually complex. Now, if you're not after that, if you're after a really, um, really straightforward, say bourbon, um, you could do a somewhat cool fermentation, um, and really get a very uh, easy drinking neutral bourbon may lack some complexity, but actually might be quite smooth and quite easy to drink. So there's a balance and this is where distillers play, uh, a little differently than, um, um, brewers, uh, with some of those well, fermentation in, flavors, even in, the uh working in a sanitary way, you know, they don't really care that much. Um, you know, and part of it is, I think, you know, the acids produced from some bacteria 
uh, also can lend themselves towards you know developing those those esters you know the 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 higher alcohols the acids you know esterification of the alcohols so um you know that's that's part of the the goal and and uh, you hear all sorts of interesting things about you know taking uh you know, certain parts of the mash and reintroducing them and um you know, trying to build up that acid level to get enough of the acids to support esterification and getting kind of, you know, if you, you have some of these barrel aged spirits and you get these really nice esters in them and, uh, you know, it's not coming from the barrel. It's, you know, you gotta have all the precursors to make that happen. And, and that's what they're shooting for that. And, um, you know, they, they always want to do it, especially the old school. They want to do it cheap. They want to do it fast. They want to just hammer it through. It's just like, really? And what always amazed me on that was, okay, so you want to work cheap and fast. Um, I, not that they want to, you know, make a cheap product, but as certain parts of the process, they're just like, no sense spending any money on this. Let's just get this through. Um, but then they'll spend, you know, five, 10 years, 20 years aging this in barrels, which, you know, the time commitment, the money commitment <laughs> to that is huge. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then you've got evaporation stealing even more of it. So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you end up, you know, like a 10 year barrel, there's not a whole lot in there. Um, we have a, a place right next to us that packages, you know, uh, spirits off from various, uh, for various, uh, uh, manufacturers and they'll get in like a 20 year barrel or 25 year barrel. And there's nothing in it. It's just like a little, <laughs> a little splashing in the bottom of the barrel. It's, it's like maybe a third full, something like that. Right. Wow. It's, mm. I mean, that's why it's so expensive. Yep. <laughs> it's amazing how much is uh, left in some of those barrels that are 20, 23 years old. And mm. you get people asking, you know, why some of these aged spirits cost so much. It's just um, <laughs> the barrel and uh, evaporation and the atmosphere has definitely taken its share. Right. <laughs> and go. also, Aaron, you, you were saying earlier that there's basically two different kinds of stills. There's the alembic or pot still versus the column still, and they're used predominantly for two different types of spirits. Aged spirits like your whiskeys that go in barrels, and I guess that would also cover rum and brandy and that sort of thing. And then there's the clear spirits where the gins, the vodkas, we are trying for less, flavor from the mash fermentation and it's all coming uh from post ferment post distillation additions yep exactly okay. and i think i think that can be a bit of a simplification but it's really easy on a home distillation um uh from a home distillation aspect i always feel like people want to play around just just like homebrewers always want to play around and try different styles. Home distillers are kind of the same. They're going to want to try a lot of different spirits out. There are going to be some that all they want to do is bourbon or moonshine or gin. And that's, that's what they want to do. And that's great. And you can really build your still around that because like I said before, there's a lot of things in between pot stills, pure pot still, Alembic dome. And you can look up some of the Scotch whiskey distilleries and it's just 
one big round copper con- copper dome and they've got a, a condenser tube coming off of it and that's it. And then you've got um, some of the massive like coffee column stills that are just uh, industrial looking almost um, that are just meant to produce as high alcohol as possible. And then you've got uh, rum makers down in Jamaica that have alembic domes and a few plates on their still or a, a, a short column um, with bubble plates, which create some of the reflux for them. And they've, they've made it nice and stumpy so that it doesn't reflux too much, just a little bit. And, uh, and then you've got brandy stills that are very similar to that as well, um, where they're just sort of a, a taller version of a pot still almost in some instances. And then bourbon distilleries that uh, do the same thing and they'll send um, they'll send some of their bourbon through a, a much taller column and actually that's another thing that distillers really get to play around with and that's blending and that sort of thing so they'll try to make some bourbon that's actually um, higher proof in the barrels uh, a little cleaner so that they can blend it into something that's um, either been aged or just went through a really basic alembic still so um, the still is definitely a tool but then there's a lot of tools beyond distillation that um distillers get to use as well well and so the 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 thing for people to understand is you're really all this is doing is um kind of condensing the spirit vapor the alcohol vapors and letting it fall back down into the pot right so when they have that big dome it's just surface area copper surface area right where the vapor go, rises up, it touches it, condenses, and falls back in. And uh, by doing this, you start to separate out the, the various alcohols. And you can do this in the pot still. You can do this, you know, uh, I, I think the thing for a lot of people to start with is maybe just kind of a little pot with maybe, you know, a short column of, you know, a couple of plates. And you can always remove the plates to get less reflux, right? So what mm-hmm. happens is, the, the, the vapor, you heat it up and the alcohol vapors start coming out, you know, things like acetone will vaporize at like 145 degrees Fahrenheit, something really low. Um, and so it starts drifting up through the column, right. Uh, or wherever you have, and it'll hit the cold metal and it'll fall back in. And as you continue your boil it, or your, your heating of your, your mash or your beer liquid, it, you know, we'll keep uh, driving these lighter ones up first and then slightly heavier alcohols and et cetera, et cetera. And so you can pull off the, the lightest alcohols, which you don't want to drink. It's going to be your acetone, your methanol. Uh, and that's why you're, you're looking at these different kinds of things. I, I think one of the things most people might want to start with is just a pot still. If you want to get a little fancier and do a little bit more, you can get a, a short column on it. You can build your own out of these things too. The important thing is don't ever block off the, the, the still to where it can pressurize. That's where people get into trouble is they yeah. have something where they can shut it off and it ends up, you know, exploding on them. That's dangerous. Well, Aaron, what are, what are these stills that are most available on the market these days? I mean, I know Greenfather has one, Anvil has one. Uh, what, what would you call these uh, pieces of equipment? Yeah, so I think the uh, with the 
really the rise of electric brewing systems, home distilling has actually gotten much more accessible for a lot of folks, um, which is great because electricity is much easier than, say, gas or wood to control, say, a pot. Um, and, and you can take it indoors. You don't have to do it outside. Uh, makes it a lot easier. Um, and you'll see traditional still makers um, out there like Hillbilly Stills and Clawhammer, which is a homebrew shop, making their own copper style stills that have an electric element that go inside. The nice thing about electric elements is that um, you'll always hear the mantra low and slow for distilling um, to allow those vapors that Jamil just mentioned to really separate and to be and, and to come through without much smearing um, where acetone comes off first and those lighter alcohols come off first and then you get to the ethanol and then you get to the heavier stuff um, that starts to smell like gym socks and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, mm. and so uh, an electric, an electric, Distillation system is definitely a great way to go. We're not um, really going to talk about doing something like um, uh, a Bain Marie or uh, which is a uh, like a steam jacketed or water jacketed still um, at the home distilling level, which also gives you that nice control at the commercial um, level. Um, and so uh, there, there are a lot of options out there. And like I said, I started with a small tabletop still, the air still, and it's just a little pot still, and it doesn't even need water to condense. It uses a fan because it's not powerful enough to send water or vapor up through a condenser fast enough to, <laughs> to, to you know, need this cold water uh, to jacket it. It literally just needs a fan to cool a coil down in the lid. Um, and, um, you know, it's not going to create a ton of reflux. And um, like Jamil said, the nice thing about Anvil or Grainfather is if you want to get creative, you want to get DIY about it, there is a multitude of tri-clamp fitting style um, still parts that you can add. So from the boiler up, uh, for, from above, from the lid up, I should say, um, you can do a lot of things. So get yourself a nice electric boiler. The grandfather has voltage control in the controller, which is awesome. Um, you can add a voltage controller if you want. Um, there's really basic boilers like the T500 that just slowly ramp up for you. Um, and, uh, and Anvil is the same. Um, you can just uh, use the boiler that you have available if you're a home brewer and look for a lid that you can clamp on. So I think that's the one thing is if, if you're buying a kettle and you're interested in distilling, look at the brewing systems that would allow you to put a distilling lid on top. Um, and that's so basically a pot still at that point. Basically, that's a pot still at that point. You can attach that lid and the lid will either have a hole for, which is about a 48 mil hole. Um, and you can put some of the columns that are out there, like a T500 column on there. And that lid will fit a lot of different brewing systems. But then there's also lids out there that have a tri-clamp on them. And you can find some of these on eBay or Amazon or at your local homebrew shop, um, depending on their comfort level with distilling. And um and really start playing around. And what you can find are segments that are plates. So you, like Jamil said, you can add as oh. many plates as few or as little as you want. And they're just like a two inch tri-clamp in some instances, three inch tri-clamp, and then you can just stack those up. And by the time you get to five, six plates on a small home still, you've got a nice column still, remove that down to one or two, and you've got probably just enough reflux to leave some of that flavor behind for an aged um, spirit. Okay. So they're very adaptable in that way. I mm -hmm. hadn't realized that. Okay. 
Yeah, very adaptable. It's and kind of um, the erector, next... erector set of, of uh, <laughs> distilling. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think there's. I think the nice thing about distilling, I'm not. I'm not a welder um, or anything like that. Is if you want to build your own still, and there's, again, some folks that really want to do that, and that's what's fun for them. Just like home, a lot of homebrewers want to build their right. own system. Right. Um, you can do that from scratch, from scratch, from scratch, if you want. Like just go buy sheets of copper and start brazing <laughs> um, mm. or get yourself a boiler and have fun with the top part of your still just by buying different tri-clamp parts and different condensers. And, um, you know, you can you start getting into things like deflamators <laughs> that cool, cool down your column at the top or gin, gin baskets or lots of toys, you know, um, onions and helmets. And it can be a lot of fun. Okay. Very Speaking of a lot of fun. Our good friends at Brew Chatter up in Reno, our Sparks, Nevada. Uh, yeah. Great homebrew shop, sponsors of this show. Uh, check them out if you're ever up there or check them out on brewchatter.com. All right, let's take another short break. When we come back, we'll have more about how to distill right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with uh, Aaron Hyde about uh, how to distill, how to get started in distilling, uh, distilling questions if you are distilling. We talked yep. about the uh, about about getting a still and what kinds of stills. Polishing. Walk us, what? I was going to say maybe polishing comes after. I mean, you've, we've distilled, we've kind of created our, our spirit. Um, is that the end of the process? Oh. You just drink it at that point or is there more? <laughs> well, but what about, uh, you know, the, I, I don't think we covered quite the start here uh, oh. well enough because there's certain things about what you are going to distill. We talked about just running some uh, dextrose. We talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, doing a beer mash or whatever. Um, you can run wine through it. One of the comments in the, uh, in the chat was, uh, uh, you know, local guy uses white wine. We had a, a winery here give us 1,200 gallons of, of wine that they didn't want. And so we turned it into a brandy. Turned out mm. great. Um, so you can do all these different things. Um, the uh, thing I think people need to know is what's good to run through the still. I mean, what, you know, like ABV level, et cetera, et cetera. What would you, what would you say is, is a typical thing people want to run Aaron? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought up the wine thing because I think that, um, you know, some folks who are starting into distilling and not home brewing often are a bit intimidated by, uh, the fermentation process or uh, processing grapes and that sort of thing. And being able to buy a commercial beverage like wine and run it through a still and make a brandy, which can end up being quite a high quality brandy, sometimes a, of better quality than say the wine that you were maybe going to drink out mm -hmm. of a box or something like that. Um, that that's, a, that's a great way to, to get started. Um, in terms of fermentation, um, we've kind of talked a little bit about these guys really trying to create as much alcohol as possible, as fast as possible. Um, what I have found is that um, 
some folks do rely on uh it can vary i guess is what it what it comes down to is what i found is there's still some scotch whiskey makers that will use just a six percent abv wash and that's what they sent through um they're um not processing large mashes or they're processing a thin mash real quick they want it to ferment as fast as possible I think maybe by making it a lower ABV, um, that probably speeds up the process for them. But I have seen that most whiskey distilleries are in that 8 to 12% because they're oftentimes using an ale yeast. And an ale yeast will you know, start to max out an ABV between 8 to 12%. So that ends up being a really nice um, wash for, for that sort of spirit. Whereas you start talking about the other sugars that are out there and maybe using a yeast that's more capable of going beyond that. And you start talking about um, ferments that are between 12 and 18%. And of course, even higher than that, if, if it can be pushed to 20, 22%, um, it definitely happens. But um, we also kind of mentioned that, you know, a lot of whiskey distillers still refer to their uh, ferment as beer. And the same goes for brandy. A lot of the guys that are doing grapes will still call it a wine and they're making uh, um, uh, a wash that is in that sort of wine range, 12 to 16%, you know, 14% is pretty, pretty healthy. And, um, and, and that'll oftentimes be dictated, of course, by the amount of sugar in their grapes. Um, there are some brandy makers that will cut it with some dextrose, but uh, for the most part, you know, a lot of the brandy guys are just using grapes. And then you start getting into the raw sugars or the byproducts of sugar, like molasses, um, which still contains sugar, but it's near the, it's a, actually a, you know, a byproduct of that sugar refining process. Um, those guys are oftentimes in that 14, 16, 18% if they can, um, though there are some rum distilleries that, that still do an 8% wash. In fact, I just put down an 8% wash. Um, and it's really nice because uh, I'm always surprised how fast it does ferment out. I think it was done in about 48 hours at 8%. And that's not something we ever think about as home brewers. Um, right. And even though I've been distilling for like a decade, when that happens, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe the yeast just went through it like that. <laughs> of course, uh, if you're doing a dexterous wash at 16, 18%, which isn't uncommon, um, you do need to keep in mind that to get those sort of results out of your sugar, you you do need to add some yeast nutrient. Um, and oftentimes that's what turbo yeast is, is it's a yeast and nutrient package, even with some enzyme in it sometimes as well. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's a wide range, um, of, of fermentations and washes out there, but oftentimes, um, people are trying to maximize what they can send through the still. So they'll push it, push right. it up to that, that's uh, 14 your, to 18%. What'd you call your, your, your charge? right? Your, yep. uh, of your still. And if you, the, the higher you, the alcohol in your charge, the more alcohol you will get out in the finished, finished product. Um, if you yep. have less alcohol to start, let's say you have a 10 gallon still and you're putting 8% ABV in there, uh, and you've got 10 gallons, that's, you know, 10 times eight, right? 80. Uh, points of possible alcohol you could get out and you're only going to get a portion of that. If you started with 16%, you're going to get, theoretically, you could get twice as much. Maybe you get a little less than that because of how you fermented it or something like that. But that's the reason that they want a high ABV charge. It's also the reason that 
we don't bother distilling, you know, like a 4% beer or even a 5% beer. A lot of times kind of the cutoff for us is if it's 8% or above in old beer, we'll, we'll go ahead and run it. If it's below that, it's kind of not worth it unless it's got great Mm -hmm. flavor or we really are keen on doing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have one beer evil twin, which we make a whiskey from, um, Mm -hmm. it's 6.8%. So, you know, the yield's not as much, but we really like the flavor and we like, you know, what, what works on it. So, um, it's another thing you can do is get rid of old beer. Um, uh, I've got a, a friend here who's famous for going around to competitions and taking every last unopened bottle. He doesn't care what it is. And then he goes and distills it. So, you know, he's uh, you can, you can take all your waste beer um, or beer from leftover from competitions and you can, uh, you can run that too. As long as the ABV is not too low. If you're, if you're talking something two or 3%, <laughs> um, it's just not worth the energy to run it. You can, but, uh, not really worth it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually the first thing that I ever sent through a still too was an old beer. Um, just one of those things that, uh, you know, you end up having laying around and I left it in the fermenter a little too long and it was around 6% and it wasn't too hoppy. And I just sent it through the air still. And it's a great way to start, you know, right. if you're a home brewer, there's no, right. Why not? What's the yeah. risk? You know, you just have some fun with it, play around with it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, making bread from spent grains or something, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> chance yeah. to try something different. Yeah. Exactly. Really, really fascinating and enjoyable uh, process distilling is. Yeah. I've had some very nice distilled beers that, uh, very smooth and, you know, nice kick to them. A uh, question in our chat says, uh, Chuck says, can't you use an apple cider mix with a simple syrup fermented out to a 16% wash as charge? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, Any, anything uh, with alcohol you can, you can use yeah. as a charge. I would, uh, I would even question take it for a... me, uh, apple cider versus apple wine. Is there a difference in the two charges that makes a different product? Um, uh, probably not too dif- different. It really depends on what you're, if there's any sort of adjunct in either of those, anything that you've added. Um, but um, really, like uh, like Jamil said, the flavor that they're getting out of their evil twin whiskey. You know, if if you're doing something lower ABV, um, sometimes some of those. Uh, flavors do kind of make their way through um, just because they're part of the the wash that's in your fermenter and something higher alcohol um, might just have more ethanol that comes through because it's got more ethanol, but otherwise, um, you know, not too big of a difference. I mean, I, I, I think about one of the very first customers I had at my homebrew shop um, and uh, he was a distiller and he had come in from the swamp and he was old school and he had it still in his barn that was his grandfather's and it hadn't been run in a while and this guy had not fermented and down in new orleans uh, in louisiana a lot of fruit grows wild and explaining to him that it doesn't matter what the sugar base is you can make spirit and alcohol out of it um blew his mind you know it's like one of those things where it's like 
if it can be fermented, it can be made into a spirit. And he starts listing off all of his fruit on his property. He's talking about fig trees. He's talking about grapes. And, you know, he's like, well, what if, what if I take, um, you know, what if I've got, I've got blood or a blood orange tree on my property. I'm like, yeah, you can distill it, man. You're going to make a, you're going to make a fruit brandy out of it. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) Go for it, you know? So send him home with some yeast packets and uh, a little additional sugar and, uh, and got him going. But I think that's one thing that, um, you know, it's probably good to clarify all sugar is going to make a spirit of some sort. So I I was thinking of the, the yeast aspect too. I mean, uh, Brett yeast that's often used in ciders. Does that, does a Brett yeast contribute some interesting character or is that kind of all lost? I haven't done as much bread experimentation in my fermentations as I probably should have, but it does, it's all going to lend a different character for sure, because different alcohols are going to be created and different acids are going to be created. And um, so you're going to get different characters. In fact, and I uh, can't remember the the distillery I was at. Actually, it was up in Portland. They were doing some Brett fermentations and um, getting really good results. And actually, um, you know, a, a noticeable difference in they were Aing and being product when I was up there. Yeah. And and one was a Brett fermentation, and there was just a different complexity, especially in the aroma of the spirit. Um, that really came through, you know, the aromatics, the volatiles that Brett, Brett contributed were definitely different. Uh, the spirits were similar enough that you could say, oh, this is the same base, um, you know, same still and same wood and all that. But it was definitely a slightly different character to it. We've, we've run a barrel aged sour beer through it too. Uh, we tried that, uh, not, it didn't work out as good. <laughs> Just barrel aged sour that you know, didn't make our cut for, for, uh, going into our, you know, final sours. And we tried running some of those and it was like, nah, you know, you get way too much funk sometimes and something like that. But I think just some bread alone, uh, could be a nice, nice idea. Nice addition. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating what characteristics come across. And one of the things that comes across that I think would be a problem. I haven't done a lot of this. Uh, so maybe Aaron could speak to this, but, uh, phenols, um, you know, if you do a very high phenol positive yeast in something and you got a ton of phenols in there, it can be hard to get that back out. Um, just like smoke, anything that Uh is smoky. So the, the smoke lingers in there. A lot of the, uh, really, um, some of the, the hop compounds, it's really hard to get those out even with 20 plates, it's difficult <laughs> to get rid of that stuff. We've, we've tried and, you know, you just live with it. The hops are okay. The smoke, I'm not so sure about, uh, just depends on the, the flavor of the smoke. If it's burnt mm. like ashtray, no, if it was just smoky wood, that'd be great. But anyways, Aaron, what, what, what about, uh, phenols? Yeah. Those, uh, phenols, like you said, can be really hard. Um, they love to, to stick to alcohols and water. So they just come through those phenols are just hanging around throughout the entire distillation process. I have found, and I don't know if you found this Jamil, and you said you ran 20 plates and it was really hard to get rid of that hop compound. Is there is a place in the run where they sort of congregate, but they're kind of still all over everything, making a mess of a mess of things. And right, I've noticed right. that with smoke too. 
um, when I've done like a 100% peat smoke and I'm, you know, just making very smoky scotch, um, you smell it coming off the still initially. And then it just kind of, the compounds um, are on a bit of a journey and they'll come through really distinctively at certain points if you're making cuts during your run, um, you know, and really um, taking different parts of your run through your heads, your hearts, and your tails. Those phenols are definitely stronger at different points running through a pot still or coming off different plates. Um, but uh, um, they're definitely not something that you're even going to get rid of in in maturation or polishing. Um, they love just hanging around and sticking to alcohols for sure. Yeah. What, what does polishing entail? It is really a step that is, I think, starting to gain some traction with home distillers. It's, it was actually seen as something that was uh, too, too, too much of a commercial process or something that they didn't want to do because it stripped flavor, that sort of thing. I would say that polishing is finally becoming a tool for some home distillers. And it, again, it's another, it's another place where you get to play around with your spirit where you can polish some or polish none or polish it quickly or whatever you want to do. And polishing entails using typically using activated carbon um, and running your spirit through there quite slowly most of the time um, to allow the activated carbon, which is porous, it has like meso and micro pores in it. It's really carbonized material, which can be anything from stones to coconut shells and typically wood. Um, and, um, and, and that alcohol sits in there and some of those um, congeners and fusels and phenols will get stick to the surface of that activated carbon and okay. clean up the spirit. So it's i.e. a polishing process. Um, and uh, so it's and, like the and, Mythbusters episode where they ran vodka, cheap got vodka through a, a home carbon filter, water filter. Kind of thing. Oh, I, I got to look for that episode. Yeah, yeah. If it's a carbon filter, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna clean up some of those flavors, and okay. if you're doing it later in the process, some of the color as well. And this was probably one of the more fascinating dives that I've went on as somebody who loves rum. Is I was trying to figure out why white rums varied quite so much in flavor, and I found out that some people were polishing post. Uh, aging just to get some of that color out, what, leaving some of the flavor behind. And I think that's just an awesome um, uh, way to describe polishing as a tool and not something to think of as a, a corrective device, which is what I think a lot of home distillers think of it as. Um, I have started to polish things in various, um, in various amounts. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll I've got a whiskey that's, um, uh, you know, I, I, if I want to play around with the whiskey later on and I want to blend two different whiskeys, I'll change up the oak, sure, and I'll maybe change up the amount of alcohol by volume or ABV or proof that I'm aging at. But what I'll also do is I'll take some of that bourbon and I'll polish a little bit of it real quick, just send it through. Uh, and an activated carbon filter real fast um, just to take out some of the congeners um, that are in there um, and and not not just to clean it up but just to create a different um, whiskey for me to age that's going to be a little have a little different character um, than a different one so a lot of the filters that are out there are literally just stainless tubes with uh with activated carbon, little bits of little black chunks that are only about a mil big, 
um, in there. And it looks a lot like your your home filter, if that's what you've got. And you can even use a home filter or rig up a home filter um, to do polishing. I will say that traditionally for rums and bourbons and whiskeys, a lot of those guys don't polish. Um, and, and, you know, that's just how it is. So it is a step you can skip if you'd like, but it's also a step that I think um, folks can really start to use uh, as part of their uh, distillation as well. One of their toolkits, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up talking about how to distill right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with uh, Aaron Hyde, author of uh, How to Distill which you can uh, get your local homebrew shop to uh, uh, order in for you, or you can find it online. All right, so one of the last things I wanted to talk about was the interesting thing for me is in beer, we tend to do a lot of measurements and base things off of measurements, and then we taste the beer at the end. In distilling, there's a lot of tasting and uh organoleptic, uh, you know, uh, analysis that goes on during the process. So while you're distilling, you're smelling and tasting, you know, the, the output of the, of the, your still, and you're deciding to throw some away or to hold some and to use it for something else later. And you're, you're making what's called these cuts to, you know, decide what portion you're taking of the entire run of the still. And so I, what I find challenging is it's all, you know, it's like, well, taste it. That's how, you know, it's like, well, great. I'm a numbers guy, uh, you know, but I, I, I'm a taste guy too, but it's like the first few times it's like, well, I don't know. It smells like acetone to me. I'll throw it away. You know, what point does it really not smell like acetone any, anymore? I don't know. I've been huffing acetone for, for a half hour now. <laughs> it's like, I got no idea anymore. So it's, it's very, very challenging in that way. I'm always kind of frightened uh, trying to figure out, yeah, I should throw this away or I shouldn't or, you know, where, where to make my cuts. I mean, you got any advice on that? Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and um, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned it before, but um, craft distilling and home distilling probably just a little bit behind where craft brewing and home brewing are. And one reason is is that we have for centuries <laughs> literally relied on no numbers in this game, mm -hmm. and you will find massive distilleries that have amazing distillers, master distillers who couldn't crunch a number to save their life, but they know how to run that still and they know how to get the flavor they want and they will nail the flavor every time. And it's why you become an apprentice master distiller or a master blender at the end of the day, because you have to learn how to use your nose and to taste and to visually see changes as well in the alcohol, which is 
it's it's almost counterintuitive to numbers guys and um and for home distillers it's it's again it's kind of the romantic side and it's the art and science of brewing and distilling where if you can bring it all together um you can get this really great product and cuts allows you to do that so we touched on the heads the hearts and the tails and you've touched on acetone and really getting that right at the beginning it comes through light and um you'll hear people say oh this spirit's a little headsy and what they mean is that they're they're it's like nail polish remover they're getting too much of that and some people are super sensitive to it and some people are not and especially after uh sitting in front of a still all day and sniffing alcohol and drinking alcohol you become very relaxed to everything that's coming through your still um so um you know it's really uh Cuts get trickier as you go for that reason, um, because your nose is overwhelmed. You might be tasting as you go. That gets overwhelmed. There's a lot of alcohol coming through that hasn't been cut. Um, and and so you're starting with this like 80% stuff coming off a pot, still going down to, you know, 40 or 20% stuff, depending. And, um, and through that process, you do have to learn a little bit about what you're still can do and should do with a certain wash. Um, you do need to learn your equipment a little more and you do want to probably play around with the same recipe a little more than you would even in brewing just to understand what your still is going to do. But there are a lot of variables. Is your condenser water cold? Because the process is really simple. Like we've mentioned, it's just vapor. Uh, it's just literally um, you know, becoming a vapor. And then all we're doing is recondensing it in its various parts. So we're taking that wash and saying, okay, we want this and then this and then this. And in between, in the middle, there's this big chunk of ethanol that we want during the hearts. And that's the cleanest stuff. And one of the best things you can do as a home distiller is don't try to make cuts initially based on smell and taste, but to actually make cuts at, at volumes, um, like say 200 mils or eight to 10 ounces at a time, as many small jars as you can do. And feel free to taste and smell as you go along, but then take a step away and come back to that and go through those jars again. Um, because that's going to teach you what your still does, what, what your wash did, that sort of thing. So, you know, I've done, I've done upwards on a five gallon wash upwards of 24, 30 different jars at 200 mils a piece. And, you know, that gives you a really good idea. And then you can start making rough cuts later on, if you want, that are just heads, hearts, and tails. And at a certain point, you're just like, oh, well, I learned the last time that around 300, 400 mils in, I stopped getting that acetone in jar number three after 400 mils were cut. And so I mm. I know when to start looking for it on my still with that wash and that sort of thing, because every tool is going to be different. Every wash is going to be different. So, you know, um, it can, you can build some numbers into it. You can take the ABV of each jar. Um, you can smell it. You can taste it. You can take good notes, always really good to do um, and see what you're and, and continue to uh, really learn based on um, taking a very set uh, um, selection of cuts. I want to go back to the temperature thing because, like you know, with the grandfather, with the anvil, you've got with these electric brewing systems, you've got precise temperature control of you know the mash or in this case the boil. 
So mm-hmm. can you like, if you say, okay, I know that acetone vaporizes at a 148, do you just set the, the kettle at that temperature and let that run for a while and that's all your acetone gone? I mean, can you do it by numbers that way? I have played with that a bit. And the, the challenge is oftentimes, what's the temperature of your boil compared to the temperature of your heads, compared to the temperature of the distillation that you're getting out? And I think the thing that uh, trips people up a little bit is that if you set your um, if you set your temperature at 145 to try to pull out some methanol and acetone and that sort of thing, is that um, it actually needs some of that heat and that pressure. And if your heater is turning off and on too much, it actually, it isn't, it isn't creating enough per vapor pressure to actually push that out. What you do oh, need okay. is that slow ramp of temperature um, that allows those light vapors to, to, to really start um, moving through the still. And I always think about it in columns, sort of like this, it's like, Oh, there's my acetone and there's, there's where it starts to mix in with a little bit of methanol and oh, there's the ethanol. And what you need is that slow climb because the other thing to consider is that there's water molecules attached to a lot of this through the process. And we all know water boils at 212, 100, you know, depending on sea level. And so that's going to drag your, your uh, alcohol molecules down a little bit. It's going to hang on to them and, and try to make, force you to push that temperature up so it's the amount of water molecule that's attached so low and slow is really the the way to go you can use those temperature controllers to ramp your temperature though and it is a smart thing to do Um, like i mentioned the grandfather has the voltage control built in if you're just using something that's you know um, thermostatic and you want to set your temperature um, set it a little higher than you think and get in the habit of not really um not really attempting to try to pull everything out and this still stops and you think you've got all this vapor that's bad. What you want to do is get in the habit of just say ramping up uh, a couple degrees every minute or something like that until you get to about 212. Um, and that'll help you help you move through your cuts slowly. Um, but don't okay. try to read your read into it too much because it's really hard to do um, what you're saying there. Um, someone like okay. Jamil, who's got a, lots of different plates, they can actually see where the alcohol cuts are inside there, still like where the liquid is gathering on the plate and actually see some of those, um, the different weights that are coming through until okay. it gets all the way up to the top. So yeah, or actually as it starts to settle down in the bottom of the column, I should say, yeah. And it acts differently as you take some of the uh, vapors off, some of the alcohols off, the remaining liquid behaves differently. Uh, the, the boiling point changes. And that's why you got to keep increasing your, your temperature. Uh-huh. And then yeah, you can, like I was saying, you know, a lot of it is tasting and, you know, feeling and visual you know, there's not like numbers you get to work with. There are some, you can check, you know, the proof of the, the distillate coming out. Um, but, you know, you'll see that they behave differently, have different viscosities. I mean, some of it, you know, later on is it's oily um, and you can, you can see the, the difference in behavior. Um, so, yeah, that's where I find it real tricky. I know there's people that have automated this and, and done a lot more, you know, um, there's those automated stills that'll separate things out, but, uh, 
yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> both, both of you said you, you can check the proof of the stuff coming out. How do you do that? A flame test? Proof hydrometer. Proof it. Oh, okay. And then a lot of times you have a, a parrot, which is just like a kind of collection vessel coming off of the, the still and you float your proof hydrometer in there and you can read it there. Okay. Yeah. So um, a parrot's really just a fancy test cylinder. It's got a place for the spirit to come in and you float your hydrometer in there the whole time you're running it. And then it's just got a little over then. <laughs> it does have a little beak on it though, um, oh, okay. where your spirit runs out into your collection vessel. Um, so you can kind of watch your hydrometer um, go from, you know, high alcohols to low alcohols as it comes out of your still. And a proof and crawl hydrometer is a, uh, yeah, works very similar to a specific gravity hydrometer, but is just um, zero, pretty much measures zero to 100% AB, ABV. Okay. Okay. There you go. So that's a lot of, lot of information. Uh, we should probably have you back uh, again to do a, like a whole series of step-by-step. -step. <laughs> Sounds great. That's why you wrote a book. It's out there. It's called uh, How to Distill. And you can, you can pick it up at your uh, local homebrew shops or uh, you can pick it up online as well. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for joining us. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, I, I I'm kind of keen on distilling. I just enjoy having to learn a whole new, new process. And it's, it's the same, but different from, from brewing. <laughs> so that's, what's really yep. cool. And lots of toys you can get too. So that's, that's <laughs> if you're, uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We'll, we'll we're going to, John and I are going to do a, uh, a live Q and a show. Uh, and uh, if you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be another two weeks or so before the, the next episode. So, so hang in there, but uh, we'll keep doing them. If you keep listening, we'll keep doing them. And then also we'll keep doing it. If you support our sponsors, like uh, wonderful John Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com or uh, the wonderful guys, uh, Josh and RJ at BrewChatter at BrewChatter.com. Check them out, support them. They're supporting you. Uh, and, uh, they can help you make uh, great beer, great spirits. Until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. Thanks, guys.